It is Thursday, March 11th, 2021, and you are tuning into the Tommy C Show, the podcast that's become a popular resource for patriotic truth and action. The podcast that gives you the five substantial reasons why you should listen to it. Hey, that's where I want to start tonight. You know, there's so many options out there. First off, you should listen to what you enjoy and what you find interesting and informative. And if this is your first time listening to this show, I appreciate that. I hope you'll listen throughout the show and make a decision uh, for yourself if this is something that you want to continue to listen to. Uh, there are so many options out there when you consider uh, where we used to be with conservative uh, radio. And, you know, it used to be, you know, rest his soul, Rush Limbaugh and uh, your your national networks, really. And, and that was it. There wasn't much else except for maybe some... Uh, local commentators. Well, over the years, we you know got people like Levin and Hannity and Bongino, and you know that led to others out there like uh, Shapiro and Kirk and you know Ed Crowder and some of these others um, that have been out there. And I, I think it's really cool uh, that there are so many voices out there. You know, there's no, I don't think there's any real legends. There's you know like Rush was. That's that's a barometer that. Uh, you just can't compare anybody to. I mean, he's in a league of his own, always will be. And uh, But, you know, I digress. The point being is there's a lot, of, a lot of options out there. And a lot of people have their own flavor. And typically people will listen to things that uh, they can relate to, right? Somebody that they relate to, that, that they find the content, the charisma, whatever it may be, it's relatable for them. It, it's... They listen to it, and it gives them something. It's fulfilling in a way, whether uh, it's somebody that shares the same perspectives or there's a way in the, the content is delivered or the context itself and what's in that content, which really should be important. But I want to give you five reasons why the Tommy C. Show, why this show, why you should consider this show and share this show and uh, uh, think of it as, as a good source, a good place uh, to spend you know, a half an hour or less, uh, three to four times a week. Now, first, original content and commentary. I make a concerted effort not to plagiarize the work or the format or the ideas or the style of, of anyone else. You know, if I'm referring to another source, I, I credit those sources respectfully. Copycats are stale. And that's the last thing I'm going to be perceived as, is, is a copycat. There's a lot of redundancy out there. It's it's real easy to get out there and complain about things. You know, I'm, I'd like to be much more about quality over quantity. And when I started this show, it, it started off as a 10-minute show every Friday. That was it. There wasn't much to it. And over time, it became longer and it became more days of the week. But it was a progression. It was a slow progression. And that's because quality was always at the forefront. That was always my goal. You know, listen, I, I think if... A lot of people, if they just want to uh, hear the same redundant rambling and ranting and complaining over and over again, they go go sit in a salon somewhere for a day. And I mean no disrespect to the hairstylists that, that listen and watch this show. I know there's there's a few of them. I, I, I say this with empathy and respect towards them because I can't imagine you know listening to the same stuff over and over again all day. It's got to get very tiring. But... <clears throat> My point is that this show, first and foremost, is about original content and commentary. I, you won't find me mimicking other work. I just don't think that's... There's nothing original in that. 
And you can get that in 90% of the other shows that are out there. So that was first, original content and commentary. Second, expanded comment, content and commentary. Now, I've begun offering transcripts of my show, free, just beginning with the last one, uh, really. But as a convenience for supporters of the show, a lot of times I talk about things in great depth. And there's a lot of information that I provide that comes from some of our founding documents or other interviews or things that uh, people may say. And I realize that there's people out there that want some of that information um, more uh, conveniently, let's call it that. And sometimes it's not easy to go back and listen to the show and try to find that point where it was at or to watch it again and try to find that point where it's at. And quite frankly, it's so much nicer to just be able to copy and paste stuff, right? I mean, that's the world we live in now. So, you know, expanded content and commentary is is providing these transcripts. And, and while you can find transcripts for other shows out there, mine are ultimately published directly by me, which is very unlike a lot of others. So you can be certain that you're getting accurate information as I've shared it and not someone else's spin. I do use a third-party service to transcribe, but I review that uh, pretty in-depth to make sure that it's true, and also maybe add out some of my you-knows or so's or you know, maybe some redundancy and some simple language that I use that can be annoying to read, certainly, uh, much more than even in listening to it. Third, third reason why the Tommy C. Show, actionable content and commentary. It's easy to get on here, to get on a podcast, to get online and talk about all of the things that are problematic, right? And we should continue to do that. We don't want those things to get lost or get hidden. But none of that changes without action. And I continue to not only appeal to action, but also, and more importantly, often cite examples of exactly how you can take action. And I like to share my own examples of doing that, not just to be somebody that, you know, that walks the walk when they talk the talk, but also to give you learning experiences. This is what I'm doing. This is how it's worked or maybe how it hasn't worked. So actionable content and commentary, the third reason. The fourth reason, verifiable content and commentary. The last thing I want to become is just another echo chamber for the obvious objections of society. It's important to me that I provide intellectually honest material that you can verify and feel comfortable sharing or citing in your own discussions. That's so important. With all the fake news out there, the disinformation, the misinformation, the, the rush to information, you know, the, the expediency of it before the expediency of it before the accuracy of it, I want to give you verifiable content and commentary. And fifth, educational content and commentary. Now, it's been a goal of mine since I began podcasting to offer historical precedent regarding current events. That's why I started doing it in the first place was to look at our founding documents or the framework of our country, the backbone of it, and talk about how these things applied back in their time, but how they apply now as well, how we've strayed from them, how we can get back to them, why maybe things it's right that things have changed a little bit over time. I want to talk about one of those a little bit later. But, you know, really, I try to oftentimes share the lesser-known but hugely impactful pieces of our history. You know, bringing them to life relative to the stories in the news today and how they apply. So original, actionable, expanded, verifiable, and educational content and commentary. These are my pledges to you. 
They are the things you can consistently count on from me. And they are the things I hope that you'll expect from me and that you'll keep me accountable too, that I continue to do that. And I know you will. It's Listen, if I, if I don't hold up to my end of the deal, and I'm not interesting and I'm not providing these things that I say I'm going to provide, you're not going to listen. You're not going to watch. And I'm going to see that in the numbers. I'm going to realize that. Uh, you know, but those are the five big reasons why you should tune into this show and feel confident when sharing it with others. Now, I'm not telling you not to watch or listen to other podcasts or shows. Not at all. There's so much great information out there and so many different perspectives. And everybody has their own perspective and experiences and viewpoint on things. I'm just making a case for why this show should definitely be on your list. Hey, let's jump into some content. And, you know, this week it was reported by several media outlets, including the Lexington Herald-Ledger in Kentucky. Mitch McConnell is working behind the scenes with his allies in the Kentucky State Legislature, uh, basically to establish his own successor uh, in the event that he should leave office or be removed from office prior to the end of his term. Now, current state law in Kentucky allows the governor to appoint someone to fill the seat until the next regular election uh, of the House of Representatives which is every two years. Well, under this proposed legislation, however, Kentucky Senate Bill 228 would require that the governor uh, appoint someone temporarily to fill that vacancy left by a senator from uh, a list of three names given to him by the executive committee of the political party of the senator who formerly held the seat. And the bill would add Kentucky to a list of, of several states, a handful of states that require an appointed successor be to the same party as the person who previously held the office. And I don't believe that is, is that part is problematic. I mean, clearly, the majority of a state's voters elect a candidate for their party affiliation more than anything else in modern times. But is further restricting the list of candidates good or bad? Is saying, well, you've got to pick from this party, it's got to be this party, but you can only pick from one of these three people. Maybe or maybe not. That depends on perspective, again. We should look at the history, uh, you know, of the process that pertains to the Senate and what our founders argued, right? I like to default to that. Our founders weren't always right. And in my last episode, um, I talked a bit about term limits and how the founders, you know, probably got that one wrong. But based on the perspective at the time and based on the situation at the time, their arguments were valid. They were real and they were right. So they really didn't, they didn't get it wrong. But their foresight wasn't as in tune with the term limits as it was with some of the other things that we've seen play out. But, you know, let's take a look at how senators, you know, are elected and appointed according to the Constitution and the amendment sense. I think there's a lot of people out there that probably don't realize that until just, you know, 100 years ago, basically, uh, senators weren't elected by the people. They were elected by the state legislatures. It wasn't a popular vote that put senators in office. Um, Article 1, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution outlines the United States Senate. It reads, uh, The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state chosen by the legislature thereof. That was the original language. And that's the way it was for almost 125 years. From 1789 until 1913, before the 17th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified, senators were elected by the state legislatures, essentially appointed by those state legislatures. It wasn't the popular vote of the people. Now, following um, the 1913 ratification of the 17th Amendment and beginning with the 1914 general election, all U.S. senators have been chosen by direct popular election since. 
Now, the 17th Amendment reads as follows. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. The electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors uh, of the most numerous branch of the state legislatures. This is when vacancies happen in the representation of any state in the Senate, the executive authority of such state, the governor, shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies, uh, provided that the legislature of any state may empower the executive thereof to make temporary appointments until the people fill the vacancy by election as the legislature may direct. It's all just a fancy way of saying that the legislature grants the executive the right to appoint a, a senator temporarily until the people hold a next election uh, to put them in, kind of what we saw play out in Georgia in January. Oh, while the Constitution, this is this Seventeenth Amendment is big because while the Constitution has been amended twenty-seven times throughout our history, right? We've got twenty-seven amendments. Uh, the actual structure of the Congress, as written in our Constitution, has barely been touched in those amendments since seventeen ninety-one. And the only amendment to really do so in any substantial way is the 17th Amendment, which removed the power state legislatures had to choose U.S. senators and gave that power directly to the voters in each state. Now, there have been arguments both for and against this amendment for the last century. Now, during, you know, going back to the original uh, establishment of it, during the Constitutional Convention, James Madison argued in Federalist 62 that it was necessary to have the appointment of senators by the state legislators. And Madison stated in part that it is recommended by the double advantage of favoring a select appointment and giving it to the state governments, uh, such as an agency in the formation of federal government, as must secure the authority of the former and may form a convenient link between the two systems. What Madison is saying there is that by the state legislature, you know, appointing these senators, they're beholden really to the state. They remember that they're beholden to the state, and it's that balance of power. Madison's argument was essentially both a balance and a check of power, ensuring that the states had an equally powerful voice as the federal government would have. And like all arguments made by our founders, it was sensible and very well thought at the time. So what changed? Now, what? Why the sudden pivot 100 years ago? Well, there's a lot of different arguments about it. But really, in the mid-1800s, and most dramatically after the Civil War, the vision uh, you know, of the founders that state legislatures would deliberate, uh, deliberate over the selection of senators was beginning to uh, actually harm the states. And we say that because many politicians seeking Senate seats began campaigning for state legislative candidates in a process... Uh, known as the public canvas. And really, so these these Senate candidates were were pushing certain legislatures because they knew that they would vote them in. It was, you know, one hand, you know, washes the other, really. But uh, so the result, really, was that state legislative races became secondary to Senate races. Now, that really, that takes away from the point of making sure that the states have these powers and that people are engaged in the state power and the state, the actions of their state legislatures. It had the opposite effect on that. And one of the most notable instances of that was uh, the 1958 Senate race in Illinois between Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas, uh, where neither of them were really on the ballot. 
you know, and, and, and many, in the 1890s, really, uh, you know, years later, many states started holding direct primaries for the Senate, you know, which reduced the degree of influence state legislatures had over the selection because they had, had seen kind of what a problem it was becoming at the time. So in the National Constitution Center states in one of its publications that some states went further and began using something known as the Oregon system under which state legislative candidates were required to state on the ballot whether they would abide by the results of a formally non-binding direct election for U.S. Senator. You know, and by the early 1900s, uh, 28 of the 45 states at the time used that Oregon system in some form or another um, of direct elections. And because of this, the push for the 17th Amendment to become a formality occurred in both state legislatures and the House of Representatives. Uh, you know, there were, between 1890 and um, the early 1900s, there were 31 state legislatures that passed resolutions either calling on Congress to pass an amendment providing for the direct election of senators, or to hold a, a conference with other states to work on it, or to have a constitutional convention such that the, the direct elections for senators could be included in a newly drawn constitution. It was that important. It was viewed as that big at the time and that problematic. Um, so, you know, amendment obviously passed in, in 1914. It, it took effect. Well, what happened with the 17th Amendment, really by way of political abuse, could be seen as one of the first ways politicians began to abuse their powers. And the government at the time corrected that by putting more power in the hands of the voters, not more power in the hands of the government, which is very contrary to what we see now. You know, as the government abuses powers and we see things like problems with elections, the government's wanting more power and more control rather than, than having the people have that power. Well, this is an example of that, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago even. And the government at the time felt that it would be best suited to correct the problems of the government by putting it back in the hands of the people. Just such a drastic, you know, how radical, right? I mean, that's what the whole country was founded on. Look how far we've gotten from that. You know, it hasn't been popular with everyone. You know, ever ever since, you know, the 17th Amendment was ratified, there's been people out there that have argued against it. Even recently, conservatives like Justice Anthony uh, Scalia you know, often profess that the amendment removed important powers from state legislatures and added, you know, a different angle of corruption to the influence an election of senators. Now, my biggest beef with the amendment is kind of another of the more contentious points about it, and that is the effect of appointments following vacancies, to get back to the McConnell story. You know, under the original Constitution, if vacancies happened uh, by resignation or, or any other reason, it would be the legislatures that would fill those. If the legislatures were on a recess, the state executive, the governor, would make a temporary appointment until the legislatures were back in session and they would fill the vacancies. And you know, I read earlier Clause 2 of the 17th Amendment that, that pretty much lays that out and explains it. But, it, you know, it does give that the state some power to determine temporary appointments still. You know, it puts the decision-making in the hands of the state's executive ultimately in absence of good, strong legislative action. So truthfully, I mean, neither is a good is good necessarily good by way uh, of function in today's bureaucracy. The government has way too much power already. We obviously 
need a process for temporary appointments to a body as important as the Senate. You can't leave it uh, blank. But it should be done with two things in mind. The appointment should definitely come from the same party as the departed senator. I think that's, hands down, that's the most fair and objective way to do something like that. But it should still be the people who largely have a say in who that appointment is. You know, unless we're prepared to repeal the 17th Amendment and return to the constitutional standard, you know, of appointment that was argued for by Madison and the Federalists. And right now, if you look at it through our lens right now, uh, let's take a look at that. Because it's, it would look drastically different right now. You have 30 state legislatures that are conservative on both sides, the, the state senates and the state houses. So 30 times 2 is 60 conservative senators right now, according to the way our country balances out. Now, the other 20 states, those they would be debating those Senate positions and how would those debates look and how would they turn out. And, you know, it's really hard to know, but it would depend on the pot, the pot, a lot of it. That's the important thing is that goes back to the politics of those states locally. What's important to those states and who best represents, the, you know, the, the, the electorate in those states, the people in those states. So it's not saying that, you know, that your, your remaining uh, senators, or your 20 states, 40 senators would necessarily be uh, Democrats. You probably have some other Republicans in there as well. So if you look at it like right now, you go, yeah, that, that's let's get rid of the 17th Amendment and go back to that because it would strongly favor um, conservatives. But it's one of those things where if you react impulsively based on current situations that can always come back to bite you what happens if these legislatures flip at some point in time and then you know they're not that way but it's it's unlikely to happen if you know if if i give you my honest opinion on this um, i i'm torn because i so strongly believe in the the voice of the people um, electing senators but there is an argument in the constitution Originally, and in the Federalist Papers and in those constitutional conventions, the, the, the pamphlets um, and the debates that, that went into those are such a strong argument for why the senators were elected by the state legislatures. And it's hard to argue with their premise and their argument behind it. It, it does, unfortunately, it was abused um, really at the time when our nation was most fractured during the Civil War era. It was really when the problems started to arise they say well maybe it's time to go back to that maybe now that we're so fractured again flip the script you know get rid of the 17th amendment and go back to the way it was and and balance this all back out the problem you're going to have is that the 17th amendment is is overwhelmingly supported by both sides of the aisle um, there are some outliers out there there are some republicans out there conservatives that um, don't like it and would have no problem going back to the legislature's uh, appointing senators. So it, it's really how you view it, the the give and take, the risk, the reward, and all of it. I, if I had to make a decision right here, right now about this, I would say get rid of the 17th Amendment and go back to the way the Constitution was written with Madison and the Federalists and their reasoning behind it. Because I think it does... And I say that not because, well, we'd have this great GOP majority right now. It's just a fantasy I'm talking about. But because it does balance the power out between the states and the federal government. 
it's much harder for that federal overreach to happen. So it's something to think about. I think there's a lot of people out there that aren't that uh, up to speed on the 17th Amendment, why we have it, where it came from, where it started, and now hopefully after this show today, uh, you feel better informed about it and you understand it and, and you can... You know, if you feel passionate that, hey, this is something we shouldn't have, then, hey, we talk about action, then there's something that you can write um, your senators about, you can write your state legislatures about, say, we don't want this amendment. So as you consider a convention of the states, and we talk about term limits and balancing the budget and and, uh, preserving the sanctity of the Supreme Court, one of the other things we want to do in there is, is get rid of the 17th Amendment, you know, or maybe you don't. Maybe after hearing this, you feel strongly about the 17th Amendment and that it's uh, the will of the people to popularly elect those senators. And you say, you write a letter and you say, I'm, I'm really a strong proponent for the 17th Amendment. So if you form a convention of the states, please preserve that amendment. You know, it's I'm not going to sway your decision either way. I want to provide information to you because I could go either way on this one. But uh, I think we're better served without the 17th Amendment. But that's my opinion. Hey, lastly, uh, just again, uh, my website, realtommyseat.com, launched merchandise last week. It's been really popular. I'm really grateful to everybody that's um, made orders out there. It seems like mugs, coffee mugs, and hats and things like that are the most popular right now. It's really cool to see that stuff out there. But therealtommyseat.com, you can find stuff on there. Again, I mentioned on my last show that I want to do a, a contest for my 100th episode, which is coming up at the end of this month, send me an essay to tom at therealtommyc.com between 100 and 125 words and indicate a figure in American history that you feel was most influential to this country. Why you feel that way. Just 100 to 125 words. Email that to tom at therealtommyc.com by March 22nd. And then I will go through them. I'm going to select five to read on my 100th episode, which should be later that week. Um, about two weeks from now, essentially. And if I select your submission, then I am going to send you out a very cool Truth Verified uh, travel mug. And you can find that Truth Verified merchandise, again, at my store, therealtommyc.com. So, hey, that's all I have for today. If you enjoyed the show, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a minute to share it with your friends and family. If you're watching me on YouTube, please hit the thumbs up button and subscribe. Likewise, hit that Rumble button and subscribe if you're watching on Rumble. Feel free to follow and engage with me on Parlor. My handle is the, at the Tommy C Show. Uh, check out my website, therealtommyc.com, again, for other ways to contact me to view my original articles. Put a, a pretty detailed one out today about uh, all the children that are still missing from Obama's cages. It's a pretty profound article, so really, I appreciate it if you go check that out. You might find it very interesting, and there's a lot of detail and a lot of links in there to back it all up. If you find this show very helpful and interesting and informative and you're able to and want to contribute to the show, you can also do that through PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App on my website. I really appreciate those that have gone out of their way, especially in a tough time like we've had uh, in this economy to help out. This is not what I do full-time. It's something I do as a hobby in addition to my career. So that stuff does help out. It helps me to get the right equipment I need to improve on that. Uh, and towards my time to really put this together. So, hey, there's so many great resources on my website. Again, therealtommyc.com. Uh, you can check out the Truth Verified Source. Check out the Our Government uh, tab on that website. I'm really proud of that one. There's just it's such a wealth of knowledge and information for people. So, 
Hey, friends, it's time for all of us to passionately take action, and we the people have a proud history of doing just that.